So you're turning there to Matthew chapter 18. And this message, um, as you can tell from the, sorry, there isn't a title screen this morning. I kind of slipped my mind to make one, but there is a bulletin. So the title of this morning's message, you might have picked up the bulletin and been like, oh, do I want to walk into church today? Like maybe I, maybe we'll just skip this one and we'll just come back next Sunday. Well, we are in a study through the Gospel of Matthew. We're hitting every verse. We started in Matthew 1-1 over a year and a half ago, and now here we are in Matthew 18. And so we are looking at the Word of God in context and in the order that it's written in a book so we can get it as it was meant to be read. That way when the writer, Matthew in this case, refers to something, we can go, you know what, he wrote about that not that many chapters before, and we can connect the dots. And so that's what we've been doing as we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew. If you remember last week, we talked about humility. That was really the thing Jesus was speaking about with humility. If you weren't here, we'll just do this really quick, um, bring you up to speed. Humility can be such a lacking thing, and we talked about it. For a person who focuses about how humble they are and starts broadcasting how humble they are, they aren't humble. Humility is an interesting thing because the way that you're humble is not by focusing on yourself but focusing on God and focusing on others. There's a story by S.I. McMillan. He wrote in his book, None of These Diseases, he tells the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read a question on the application that asked, here it is, are you a leader? Being both humble and honest, she wrote, no, and returned the application, expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received a letter from the college that began, Dear Applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that we have at least one follower. (laughs) Are you a leader? I'm a leader. Are you a follower? Mm, I'm a leader. I don't know that you can be a really good leader if you have never followed. Jesus desires us to be humble and teachable and trusting followers. In our relationship with Jesus, we're not leading him. We're not leading him. He's leading us. So the real question is, are you a good follower of Jesus? Otherwise, we can be arrogant, immovable, and start trusting in ourselves. So last week, we started in Matthew chapter 18, and we read the first six verses. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be Matthew 18, verse, uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 6. And we're just going to read the verses we saw last week, and I'm going to share a little bit. We'll pray, and then we'll jump into our new text. But Matthew 18, verse 1 through 6, I know some of you are like, he forgot to pray. No, we're getting there. Matthew 18, 1 through 6, this is what we read last week. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And verse four through six, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Boy, that statement by Jesus is in a stark contrast to the, really the shepherd that holds the sheep and is really, wait, 
What did Jesus say to do? Look at these millstones here. Imagine this. Jesus is saying it would be better. It would be better for you rather than stumble one of these little ones. If you had one of those stones tied around your neck and dumped into the depths of the ocean, it would be better for you if that happened than if you cause one of these little ones to stumble. Here's another millstone that was in the process of being hewn out of rock. And, you know, you think about this, like, where's the rest of the thing? It hasn't been hewn out yet. It's kind of an in-process millstone, all custom-made, all very heavy. You think about it again. Jesus, loving Jesus, Jesus the Savior. This may blow some people's concepts of who Jesus is, but Jesus said, I tell you, it's better if you tied one of those things around your neck and were dumped in the deep ocean than if you cause a little one to stumble. Meaning it's worse when you have to deal with God the Father and answer for, for why your life was this life of causing other people to stumble in their walk with Christ. There's, I, I wanted us to read those verses again because they roll right into this message today. Because what Jesus said in verse 6, 5 and 6, it, it, those are, that's a serious statement. And there's no way to get around the fact that that's a serious statement. And today's message is going to be a serious message. What does serious mean? It means that you're not doing it half-heartedly or jokingly. It means that you're paying attention and you're focused and you're being very clear about what you're speaking about. So this, this morning's message is a very serious message. We are going to descend into a valley this morning in this study. But here's what I want to promise you is by the end of the message, we will be back on our way uphill. And this message is going to end in hope, as all messages should. There should always be hope, because even with, with Christ, there's always hope. Even when he has to share something that's challenging or heavy, there's always hope. So this morning's message, the title is, Sin is Serious. And let's pray, and we'll start in verse number 7. Papa, as we come before you this morning, we thank you that you share the truth with us. It is absolutely loving that you would share the hard truth with us. Thank you that you don't mince words. Thank you for the clarity of the scriptures. And I pray this morning that I would do it justice by allowing you to work through me. I pray that we would all, myself included, be attentive to hear what you're saying and to follow where you're leading. Teach us this day, Holy Spirit, cause us to hear the voice of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. Let's look at this verse right after Jesus talked about that millstone. Verse 7, Matthew 18. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. That word woe that Jesus is saying is a heavy word. You could substitute a word like cursed is. Oh, Jesus is saying that? Yeah, Jesus, the Savior, loving Jesus is saying cursed is the world for the temptations to sin. This world has so many temptations to cause a person to stumble into sin. There are so many things in just advertising 
that are meant to stir your carnal motivation so that you might follow them. The Bible tells us that the carnal man is at war with the spiritual man. The carnal person, the spiritual person. There's a war going on. And can we agree this world isn't helping us in the spiritual side of things? Right? That's what Jesus is talking about. Because the world, yes, maybe they didn't have the large advertising and everything that we would have today, but the world was still full of temptations for the follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, woe to the world for the, for the way that it tries to put out snares for people. And then Jesus goes on, but... There's there's a level even beyond that. Woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Jesus says, for the person that is doing the tempting, for the person that is in a premeditated way going, how can I stumble people to walk away from God? How can I cause, I know that that's their struggle. I know that that's their their issue. So I'm going to feed that and I hope that they wander off into their destruction. Jesus says, woe to that person. J. Vernon McGee was sharing this um, quote, and he was talking about how the Bible says in Colossians 3.20, it says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And so you see the role that parents have for kids. God has put parents in place so that they might lead a child in the direction of God and point them to a deeper relationship with God. But here's the question. What happens if parents don't lead their children in the direction of God? What if parents become the parents, grandparents, guardians, you know, family members? What if they become the, those that start to stumble younger ones? Ah, it's okay. Yeah, I know you're under here. Have a drink though. It's okay. It's fine. I'm your cool uncle. It's cool. You can drink. Don't tell your dad or your mom. It's cool. What is wrong with you? Here, take a, take, a, take a smoke of this weed. It's fine. I know you're underage. It's cool. It's all right though. You want to be cool. This is the way to do it. Woe to you. You don't have to go to work. You don't have to work hard. Don't worry about this. Let me show you how to work the government system so you don't have to do anything. Woe to you. Woe to the ones by whom the temptation comes. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. J. Vernon McGee was talking about this idea of what happens if a parent causes a child to stumble. And then this is a quote that he said, God help the father or the mother who does not lead their child in a godly pathway. Someone has asked the question, what is worse than going to hell? The answer was given by a great preacher in the South years ago was this. To go to hell and recognize the voice of your son and ask, son, what are you doing here? And to hear him answer, dad, I followed you. In the course of this message, we are going to go into the valley. It's not a light message. Not here to make a joke. I'm okay to let the seriousness of what we're talking about settle and just be there. Because this is no laughing matter. And this happens all around us. Verse number eight, if you follow along here, Matthew 18. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. That's so hateful. This is so unloving. This is so. Who's talking here? Jesus. Jesus is saying this. 
Jesus talked about the millstone. Now Jesus is saying it's better if you go without your hands and your feet or your eyes into life eternal than be thrown into the fires of hell. Man, he's like doing a hell message. No, Jesus is doing a hell message. We are reading the Bible. For the person like, I don't want to, I don't, this is, this is bothering me. Well, do, do you want to have the buffet line, Jesus? The one where you just take what you want and then you leave the stuff that you don't want? Or do you want the actual Jesus? Because the actual Jesus said a lot of things. I want to make something very clear in that passage we just read, verses 8 and 9. Is Jesus instructing people to cut off their appendages or to pull out their eyes? And here's the thing. Very clearly, I want you to hear this. No, he is not instructing a person to do that. Jim, I just read it. You just said it. This is called hyperbole. Hyperbole is using an exaggerated example to get a point across. It is not that you would actually do that. How do we know that this is hyperbole? Well, first of all, this is not the first time Jesus has ever said this. Let's go back to Matthew 5. You'll see it on the screen here. Matthew 5, verse 27 through 30. Jesus is speaking not about humility, but adultery back then in Matthew 5, verse 27. You heard that it, it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. Look at this in his heart. Verse 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into, there's that H word again, hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So Jesus has already given this kind of an example, illustration. That one was with adultery. This one has to do with a lack of humility and causing others to stumble. How do we know that this wasn't supposed to be taken literally? How do we know that? Because if it was supposed to be taken literally, you know what we would be reading throughout the New Testament? And then the disciples of Jesus cut off their hands. And then the disciples of Jesus pulled out their eyes. It should have happened right after Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus said it. It should also happen immediately after Matthew 18 when Jesus said it. And you know what we don't see in the scriptures? Followers of Jesus cutting off their hands or pulling out their eyes. You know why? Because they understood that it was hyperbole. If you're, ever not, if you're not sure about like, well, what, what is, what's meant here? Just look at the people around the situation and look how they respond. They are both physically or, or in the time of history. They're chronologically closer to the events. But here's the other thing. They're culturally closer to the person speaking. And the disciples and those that heard Jesus understood that he wasn't literally telling them to do this. Now, here's the problem. There are those that have read the Bible and either didn't look into it any deeper or had been poorly taught and have literally cut off their hands or pulled out their eyes. And what would they use as their reason? This passage or the one in Matthew chapter five. And that's just a matter of not understanding that Jesus was not speaking literally. But his followers, did they understand he wasn't speaking literally in that day and time in that culture? They clearly understood that he wasn't speaking literally. Because here's the reality. A person can be blind, have both of their eyes pulled out, and still struggle with lust because lust is not an issue of the eyes. 
A person can have their hands cut off and their feet cut off and still have a desire for sin. You know why? Because sin doesn't originate in the eyes or in the hands or in the feet. Sin originates from the heart. I mean, if we were supposed to do this, you know, this idea about, you know, the adultery one, there would be no man in here with any eyes. That's reality. And if any guy's like, oh no, you're a liar. Shut your mouth. You're a liar. Stop it. Jesus is trying to use hyperbole to make a point. You look at the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful deceitful above all things and desperately sick. This is the condition of the human heart. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? I mean, you think about even your own heart. Ah, the things you do, the things you think about, the things you dwell upon. You just go, that's wrong. That's sick. Why am I like that? Who can know me? And then Jeremiah answers it. It gets answered here. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Who can truly search my heart? Only the Lord can search a person's heart and know a person's heart. And that's the origination. That's the source for where all the trouble comes. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark 7, verse 20 through 23, Jesus was speaking and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is not talking about pulling out your eyes or cutting off your hands or your feet because that's not the source of where it comes from. Jesus is always concerned about our heart. Now, we can't avoid also in this passage of Scripture, now that we've established that Jesus wasn't literally telling people to do that, he did speak, though, that it was better if those things happened using hyperbole than for you to enter hell. Oh, man, Jesus is talking about hell here. There are plenty of people that they hope for heaven, but they want to pretend like hell doesn't exist. And if a person who says they believe in Jesus says that they don't believe in hell, they have a problem because the person that they say they're following believes in hell. Jesus spoke more about hell in the Bible than he did about heaven. Hell is a real place and you don't want to go there and you don't want anyone to go there. Hell was not designed for people. Hell was a place of eternal punishment for fallen angels, demons. Angels also have free will. They had a choice to follow God or to rebel. And those that rebel are demons. Oh, well, when they're done and God defeats them, they're going to stop existing. Oh, no, they are eternal beings like you and I. They will live forever. And for these demons, these fallen angels, they will be in a place of eternal punishment that was created for them. Hell. But where does a person go who will not receive the love of Jesus, who in their heart of hearts doesn't want anything to do with Jesus? They have to go to a place where he is not. And so people choose to go to hell. God never sends a person to hell as if it's God going, I know it's against your will. You don't really want to go there, but I'm going to just put you there. Think about this. In eternity, everybody will be exactly where they've wanted to be. People that want to be with God, 
have a heart after God, you know what they're, where they're going to be? They're going to be in the presence of God for all eternity. And those who wanted nothing to do with God, God will, with a broken heart, respect their decision. We can't blame God for him giving us a choice and for people choosing to not want to be with him. That's not God's fault. Well, maybe, maybe, you know, you think about it too, like a place of torment, a place of fire, a place of this outer darkness, a place of for all of eternity, no time, no clock ticking down and then you're free. There's no end to it. Well, maybe after, you know, the first millennia or two, you know, there'll be like this grace period and they can get out. See, that's the thing. It's like this hope because it's hard to think about the consequence of an eternal punishment. That's how big of an offense it is to reject the love of God. The appropriate punishment is eternal separation. A person's like, I don't want anything to do with God. C.S. Lewis wrote this quote. He said, um, we have this strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of, of a sin. The guilt is washed out not by time, but by repentance and the blood of Christ. If we have repented these early sins, we should remember the price of our forgiveness and be humble. Oh, well, you know, you kind of do your time. It's like prison. You're going to do your time in hell and then you get out. Time has nothing to do with making, with paying for sin. That can only be paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that hasn't been the payment for a person's sin, then they have to pay for the consequence of it, which is an eternity apart from God, which is what they wanted. Just to think about that, that people want an eternity apart from God. You have to be careful what you ask for because you may get it. And for some, I want nothing to do with God is the mantra of their life. It's the repeated thing. It's what they, their life shows it in their actions. And if they see somebody that loves God, they can't wait to put that person down and call them a low-minded fool that needs a crutch of, of the Bible so that they can just make it through life. You shouldn't go, oh, well, that person's going to end up in hell because they are continually stumbling. They never accepted Christ. You should have a broken heart as you think about people like that. Even if they have wounded you with their harsh and cruel words, you should still have a broken heart towards people like that. We should never joy or rejoice over the fact that there will be those that will spend eternity in hell. We should never smile when you think about hell. Because you know what? If it wasn't for the grace of God, that's where we'd be. That's where we'd be going. It's a sobering message, guys. It's a really sobering message. And it's, it's supposed to cause us to have a heart for those that are on that track and taking the wide highway that leads that way. You know, verse number 10, let's keep reading here. Matthew 18. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's coming back to the, remember, he's holding a child, a, a young boy in his hands. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. 
What an amazing picture. Jesus pulls the curtain behind the st- uh, on the stage here and lets us look behind the scenes just a little bit. That for these little children, their angels, very possessive word right there, that these children have angels assigned to them. They always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. God, thank you so much for watching out over the little ones. God, thank you so much that you have those that take care for little ones. When those around them that should be taking care of them won't or can't. And so Jesus, as he's talking about this, boy, the love that he has for little children. But keep in mind, he was also using that young boy as an illustration of the humility of a believer, the humility of a Christian who just says, God, it's not about me. It's about you and it's about the people around me. He compares believers like that to little, to little children like that. And Jesus is saying, for believers who are humble before the Lord, their angels also see my father's face who's in heaven. I'm so thankful that God has angels. I'm just so thankful for it. I wonder how busy has, how busy has your angel or angels been in your lifetime? Have you, have you worked them overtime? Are they ready to have a little word with you when you get to heaven? <laughs> for some of you, maybe more than others. I don't know. You're like, man, dude, really? Come on. <laughs> oh. What are angels? Hebrews 1.14. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Ministering spirits. When we get to heaven, will we become angels? No. There's a distinction between us and angels. And in eternity, there's a distinction between us and angels. They are eternal beings and we are eternal beings. But there's a distinction between the two. For, an angel, for angels, they see the presence of God and they know God in a way that we as human beings don't. Angels marvel at how much God loves us as people. You think about it, angels are just like, wow, like you love Jim that much? That is a, you like him? Seriously? Wow. They are blown away by the love that God has for people. And one day soon, Christian, you'll see them. Can you think about this though? For demons, they also saw a presence and a picture of God that you and I have not seen and chose because they have free will, just like we have free will. They chose to go, no, we're going to do it our way. What makes you think that you can defeat God? He created you. What makes you, I, I guess that's just the delusion of pride. Like you actually think like, I got this. When logic would tell you, how do you think you're going to overcome the one that created you from nothing? that knows everything, that knows the future and the past and, all, and he's outside of time. What would make you think? The only answer I could come up with, and it may not be a sufficient answer because I'm just a human being, I just think it's the delusion of pride. Pride makes you actually think you're like way better than you really are. And angels weren't the only ones. These fallen angels, these demons aren't the only one that can be susceptible to that. We as humans can as well. I don't need God. I'm autonomous. I can do what I want. It's all about me. I'm not hurting anybody. Did you think you made yourself? What is wrong with you? I think it's pride. I think pride absolutely causes us to lose our minds. Which is why Jesus is saying, be humble. Be humble. Seek after me and take care of others. So now we're going to come into a passage of scripture. You may notice right now in your Bibles, if you don't have a King James Version, you may notice that, look at this. It's happened in Matthew before. A verse jump. Verse 10 to verse 12. Where's missing verse 11? 
We've talked about this in a few studies, and these studies are online, so I don't want to repeat the same thing over and over again. But um, I'll mention something very short at the end of the message. But you don't have to panic about like, oh no, what's happened here? Um, But verse 12, this is a very popular um, passage here, parable, parable of the lost sheep. And this parable is usually taken in isolation. It's usually not mentioned with hell (laughs) talked about it. Let's talk about, you know, the consequences of denying God and the possibility of going to hell. Oh, and let's talk about the 99 and the one. Well, let's look at this here. Jesus says, what do you think? Remember what he just talked about. He's just talking about the, the humility, kids before God, hell, the consequences. And Jesus says, what do you think? Verse 12, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other, more, more than over the 99 that never went astray. So you think about this picture. Think about a picture of a shepherd with 99 sheep. You know, he's doing it. Maybe we have a picture of like a, a shepherd with uh, just a whole flock of sheep. And as he's got his whole, uh, I think we've got a, there, yeah, he's got his whole flock of sheep there and he's leading us on. And as a shepherd is leading us on, he's doing his count and he realizes, wait a second, where's Jim? Where did he go? What is he doing again? (laughs) Meanwhile, in some remote place is the lone sheep just out by, hey, like, like, what are you doing, man? Where are you? You're going to die out here. There's nothing to eat. And you're probably going to just walk right into the water and drown. It's probably what's going to happen. You're on the road to destruction, the downhill road that leads to death. And if it's not for a shepherd that would go out, sheep are both dumb and are unable to protect themselves. The only protection for a sheep is a shepherd, is to run to the shepherd. That is the only defense for a sheep. Sheep are not known for their amazing defensive abilities. And so a shepherd will then come, if there is a loving shepherd, and save a sheep. And you look at this shepherd, it's pouring buckets of rain. And yet how many times have you and I been that sheep? That Jesus has gone through storm and dark to come find us and to come get us. And did not expect us to walk back, but for him to carry us back. It's a beautiful story. And I think you've heard it. You may even have used this idea of like, yeah, you know, you think about one that has wandered off and you're thinking in your mind, Jesus would leave the 99 to go be with the, the one. I even saw this sweatshirt. I don't usually show pictures of sweatshirts, but here we go. He left the 99 to rescue me. Okay. And, you know, that's obviously referring to this, uh, this parable that Jesus told. And here's a really important thing. This is a parable that he's telling. Because have you ever thought, I'm sure you've thought about this. What are the 99? Like chopped liver? Hey, listen, you got numbers here. So you just fend for yourselves. I'm only one person. Have fun. I got to go find that, you know, I got to go find Jim. He's out there someplace. And this can cause a bit of like bitterness for the, the one that's like, God, I'm trying to be faithful to you and you're bailing on me to go for what? This is a parable. God is able to be in more than one place. And this is what you, we need to understand. Does God, does Jesus ever truly leave the 99 that have been faithful? No, he doesn't. 
the point of this parable is not the focus of the 99. The point of this parable is how much God desires to rescue people. He just talked about hell. And for someone, they can just, if they, again, look at just one verse or one thing, or they've been taught wrongly from this world, oh, God's just looking for excuses to send people to hell. Jesus warns us about hell. And then Jesus says, look at God's heart of rescue for people that are going the wrong way. He's desiring that, let's use it parable. Jesus says to leave 99 just so he can go after the one that's lost, that finally cries out and goes, I'm lost. I've made a mistake. I have sinned. I am wrong. And you know what that person will find in that instant that they cry out is they will find the shepherd right there going, you ready? Let's go home. That's the point of the story of the 99. It's coming right after Jesus talked about hell. He doesn't talk about hell because he wants people to go there. He talks about hell because he's warning us because he wants no one to go there. But you have to want to come home. How do we know that you know, God doesn't leave the 99? Jesus says this in Matthew 28, verse 20. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us always. Believer, he's with you always. He can walk and chew gum at the same time. He can go rescue somebody that's lost and take care of your needs at the exact same time. He is able to do that. So we need to understand with that, that parable we were just taught, it was about the love of a savior to rescue people who are stranded in sin. Verse 14, in case we were confused about it. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It's not God's will. It's not God's will that anyone should perish. For you to not spend eternity with God, you have to tell him that you don't want him in your life. You have to live a life that has no care or concern for God. You have to live a life where you go, I am number one. I live my life like I'm number one. I matter. No one else matters. God, I believe that you exist, but really just get out of my way and leave me alone. For the person that wants God to leave them alone, God will leave them alone. You know, sometimes we, I think especially as Americans, we want to get, I've definitely, you know, heard this phrase, I want to be squared away. Like, I want to be squared away with people. If I borrow something from somebody, I want to be able to give them an opportunity. I want to, you know, be able to maybe return that favor at some point. I want to return what I borrowed, but I also want to maybe, oh, they need something? Hey, let me see if I can help them out, right? And there's this idea of like, hey, they help me, I want to help them. And in the sense going, I, want to, I don't want to be their debtor, I want to make sure we're squared. We have to remember this. We will never be squared away with God in the sense that, hey, God, have, have I made it right? Have I made it right between you and I? Well, you and I can never make it right between us and God. That's why Jesus came. Because only God could make it right between us. If we could make it right, then Jesus wasted his time. If simply by our actions and by our good works, we could make it right with God. God, I sinned really bad, but you know, my scale is tipped this way. So now I'm going to do a bunch of good things and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do a bunch of good things. I'm going to even out the scale so that I don't owe you. Christian, realize this. You will always be a debtor to God. Always. It will never be squared away because you were such a good person. You know what will make you right before God? The work of God, the Son, Jesus on the cross. That's what makes us right before God. 
And so what do we need to do? What's your role? If I can't like work to be right with God, what's my role? It's really simple. You accept the generosity of God that he would give Jesus in your place. And if you can be humble and accept the generosity of God, then you will be in a right relationship with God. But how many people, pride gets in the way. There's that P word again. Pride gets in the way and they're like, "Uh, no, I'm going to work this out so that I'm equal with God and then I don't owe him anything. And it leads to them being separated from Christ. This is why rejecting God is unforgivable. Because to reject God's only son is to say, hey, I got my own solution to my sin issue. To reject God is to say that you don't need Jesus because you can do it on your own. To reject God is the height of pride because you're declaring before a loving God who created you out of nothing that you are good enough and that you know better than him and that he wasted his time in sending his son. In Romans 1, verse 18 through 20, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Remember, Jesus was saying, woe to those. Woe to those that cause others to stumble. Jesus is saying that there are those that suppress the truth. In other words, they know the truth. They absolutely know the truth, but they choose to not follow it and they cause others to stumble in not following it. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Plain to who? The people that suppress the truth. Because God has shown it to them. At the end of their life, they're going to stand before God and God's going to say, you know, I showed it to you. And they're going to go, yeah, we know you showed it to us. We just didn't want to. No one standing before God is going to be like, we didn't, we, we, uh, when God clearly shows it to them, they're not going to go, well, no, we're going to debate this God because we think we have a good case. You know what each person's going to do? God, you were right in what you did. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. I didn't know. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. God will always make sure that each person has an opportunity to know him. The person out in the jungles in the middle of God is God. He's able to reach them. And he doesn't even have to use American missionaries to do it. He can just use the Holy Spirit to reach them. So my question is, have you done your part when it comes to your relationship with God? If you're a Christian, okay, you've done your part. You received the salvation that comes from Jesus. But for those that are listening that you've just been walking this, you think you're walking a fence, but there is no fence to walk on. There's a defined line and you're on one side or the other. There is no walking the line. And if you're not on one side, then you are on the other. Have you done your part and have you with humility received the gift of God, his son, Jesus, who paid for your sin issue. Remember I told you there was a missing verse there in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. Well, that verse, the verse that the King James Bible has in it, it's also in the gospel of Luke. It's in the other gospels as well. And here in the gospel of Luke, Luke 19, verse 10, this is the verse that's in the King James Bible, but is out of newer versions of the Bible. And if you look at it, there's nothing that's contradictory with what we're reading here. But in the gospel of Luke, this verse is there. It hasn't been taken out. And look at this verse. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek, look for, and save the lost. That is the message of the gospel. 
that we were lost without God. We have no way of getting back home. And Jesus came to both find us and save us. But we have to be willing to receive that gift. I'm going to ask the worship team to come here as a picture comes up on the screen. And it's this bridge and this cross. There is only one way to cross the chasm and the gap to be with God and spend eternity with God. And there's a broad way that leads out to the side that leads to destruction. And every person on this planet will have an option and a choice. In some way, God will provide them the option before they breathe their last breath. Right now, the issue is not every other person on the planet. The issue is you. The issue is me. Which road are you on? Are you on that that narrow path that leads across the chasm of death and destruction to the celestial kingdom, the kingdom everlasting, where we see King Jesus, where we see God the Father, the Holy Spirit? Or are you on the broad path, convinced by people that are on their way to destruction to follow along with them? Because it's the popular thing. It's what everybody's doing. It's not hurting anybody. Which path are you on? And I got to tell you, you're only on one of two. There's no third path. It's just one of these two. If you'd like to get on that right path and you want to receive what God did for you, his overwhelmingly generous, generous gift of giving his son to die on the cross for you, for your sin, then you can pray a prayer. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes this morning. Whether you're here this morning in this building or you're listening on the radio or watching on the internet here, you can receive the free gift of Jesus. Free for you and I cost Jesus his life. His life for your life. If you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to become a Christian, to be right with God because of what Jesus did, then pray a prayer, something like this, right to God. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I am done making excuses for my actions and for my thoughts. God, I can't fix myself. God, I can't be right with you in my strength. I receive your son, Jesus, and what he did for me on the cross. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I desire to spend eternity with you, God. I am so thankful that you, Jesus, are willing to come and find me and to save me. Jesus, help me to walk after you and be a good follower of you. Jesus, help my wandering heart that wants to look to the left and the right and leave the flock and just go wander off on the edges someplace. God, remind me of what a great thing you have done in my life. And God, please give me a humble heart. 
God, please give me opportunities to steer people towards you rather than what I used to do, which is steer people away from you. Help me be a light and a joy and a hope to the people around me. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You have your heads bowed and eyes closed. Uh, not going to embarrass you. If you said that prayer and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand just so that I could see and see if the Lord has done a work here in this room this morning? I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Papa, thank you so much for your son who you went out to, got him from where he was, and you're carrying him back. I also thank you for all of those that are not in this building who have received you by hearing your words this morning. Bless them and continue to cause them to grow from this day until that day they see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you.